I'm Chris Avena with American Outdoor News, and today we have Congressman, uh, Wisconsin Congressman Tom Tiffany. Tom, thank you, uh, Congressman. Thank you for coming on. Yeah. Hey, Chris, it's really uh, good to join you. Uh, uh, as you well know, I'm up in northern Wisconsin, and I just want to let all those anglers know that we're still ice fishing up here. You know, uh, some of my friends are still ice fishing upstate New York. It, uh, they got about a foot of snow the other day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, winter is not releasing its grip easily this year. Yeah, we're going to skip right over spring and go right into summer. That's what I think. But uh, now you, um, to, to really jump right into things, you recently, um, along with 22 other uh, members of Congress, um, tried to uh, appeal a decision of California judge about relisting uh, the gray wolf back onto the endangered species list. Um, isn't that normally done uh, by state animal management? Well, that's, that's how it should be done. So in our letter, we really called for two things. One was to, for the Biden administration to appeal this ruling they have the authority to do it via uh, the Department of Justice. And it's very clear that the wolf has recovered here in America and in particular the Great Lakes states and Wisconsin. And there's just no doubt about it that it's recovered. And it's really unfortunate. We have another federal judge who knows very little about wolf management that they inject themselves into this debate. And then the second thing is, let's us as Congress do the delisting much like happened a decade ago out in Montana. I think that affected Montana, Washington, Oregon, and Idaho, uh, where they've had delisting and they're successfully managing their wolf population out there. Uh, these states can do the same thing here. You know, as much as I have some disagreements with the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources sometimes, um, but I do think that they are the agency that should be managing this, not the federal government. I, I agree. It should be managed by state. And, um, you know, uh, you might have a, a bigger population um, for wolf in your state, but another state might not have an issue. Uh, I know Colorado has a big issue with it right now. And, you know, here we are in the springtime where um, cattle ranchers have their cattle, they're, they're giving birth to calves, and they're you know, they're literally being thrown to the wolves. Yeah, yeah, that is a good way to put it. And that, that's exactly the case here in Wisconsin. And, you know, many people in our state, they view it as, oh, this is just a northern Wisconsin issue. It has become much more of an issue in many other parts of the state, um, all the way down to southwestern Wisconsin, where there's a real concern, um, as you're seeing wolves um, expand their footprint and, um, but yeah, um, really caused significant harm to livestock producers, but also pet owners and others, um, just yeah. real problems there. Now, have they, uh, God bless. Uh, I know it really uh, varies from state to state, but uh, how much of a danger are they to the human population? Well, uh, you certain, I certainly hear from people regularly that they now carry a sidearm when for example, they go out for a walk at night. Mm -hmm. um, uh, people feel less safe at this point. And uh, the thing about it is the, full, the wolf is fully recovered. I mean, when you look at the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, 
their number is still 100 wolves for Wisconsin and the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. For those people real familiar with the geography, the Upper Peninsula is adjoins the state of Wisconsin, and um, it calls for 100 wolves. We've blown far through that. Now, many people are saying, well, let's do like 350 in Wisconsin, and I think there'd be some agreement um, for that. But um, our number, our official number is well over 1,000. The unofficial number, um, many people believe is uh, north of two or maybe even 3,000 wolves in Wisconsin. I mean, we have them everywhere. And you know, one thing that I found really interesting, Chris, I've lived in, uh, I spent about seven years in Southern Minnesota when I got out of college and I came up here to Northern Wisconsin in the late 80s before uh, we saw the wolf population explode here in our state. And it is really curious as you watch, we have large blocks of federal forest land up here, the Schwamigan Nicolay National Forest, about one and a half million acres, as well as other big tracts of public land. And you would see deer all the time. And you had to be very careful driving, especially at this time of year, when the snow's going away, those deer are out on the roads all the time. That doesn't happen anymore. When I drive through these big blocks of federal forest, where there's roads going through them, you really don't have to worry about seeing deer anymore because they have been wiped out. Yeah. And deer have largely become urbanized now in uh, the region that I live in. They're staying very close to homes. That's where you're going to see deer now. You do not see them in the big tracts of forest like we used to. And it's that is largely, and it's due to predators, but largely due to wolves. Now, I know we've seen that in other states. I know in Yellowstone, um, not only the deer herds, the elk herds are literally being decimated by the wolves. And people don't, they fail to realize that wolves can uh, have two litters of pups every year. And you're looking at what? Four, five, eight pups per litter. That's one wolf. A pack grows very quickly population grows very quickly and you know they're not the cuddly poster child for uh you know animal control that you know that um PETA and other organizations uh make them out to be they're they're literally killing machines yeah there there's this mythology that has developed in regards to the wolf that um you know they only eat what they kill things like that we've seen indiscriminate killings many times They've certainly seen it out west in the elk herds. Um, it, I mean, we had one farmer up here who had 13 sheep um, that were killed just a couple of years ago. They didn't eat any of the sheep. It was just indiscriminate killing. So that does happen. Yeah. And uh, some people try to say that uh, they would never kill indiscriminately. It's just not true. So you have all this mythology that's built up around it. Mm -hmm. But you know, we had a very successful uh, wolf hunt about a decade ago when we, I was in the state legislature at the time and we delisted wolves. And I think it was, we had three seasons of a very successful wolf hunt. Population was maintained, but yet people were able to keep the numbers in check. And once the wolf season went away with that previous federal ruling about a decade ago, the numbers continued to climb. Uh, to climb. And then we had a successful wolf season last year, and uh, some of the um, anti-hunting groups said that, well, no, that wasn't a successful season. It truly was. 
our natural resources board um, set a limit of 200 wolves. They ended up taking about 220. And the anti-wolf people portrayed that as, oh, you, um, you were only supposed to take a little over 100 wolves. You took twice as many as you should have. It's going to decimate the population. Well, that's not happening. It was a successful wolf hunt. And it actually showed. So there were about 220 wolves that were taken. Uh, it would have been February of 2021 here in Wisconsin, a successful uh, wolf hunt that year. And uh, that many wolves was taken in 48 hours. They had to close the season in 48 hours. And some of the anti-hunting groups said, see, you should not have done this. Um, it only lasted 48 hours. I would make the counterpoint. There are so many wolves, Chris, that, that they were that able many. to fill their um, limits in 48 hours. That tells you how many wolves are here in Wisconsin. One other quick point that I would make, a decade ago, uh, when the previous judge from Washington, D.C. Uh, went and relisted the wolf, we had 25 wildlife biologists here in the upper Midwest who sent a letter saying, don't do this. The wolf should not be delisted. It's recovered. And you're going to endanger the Endangered Species Act if you don't allow a species who has recovered to be delisted. The conservation through hunting is, is a proven model. It works. We, we manage deer, we manage elk, we manage bear in the same manner. Why shouldn't we be able to manage wolf in the same with the same model it works yeah there's no doubt about it and what the threat here is that by not managing the wolf population you'll find more and more people get frustrated and they may take their uh, take it into their own hands and that's not what the conservation model is is it chris it is to manage that wildlife population appropriately within a legal framework. They're pushing people to um, conduct illegal activities as a result of not allowing a wolf hunt for a species that has, uh, that has recovered. We had, um, we had a cattle rancher on, on our show uh, about a month ago, uh, talked about the same topic. Now, the wolf population in Colorado where he is, is to the point where he don't know what he's gonna wake up to in the morning. How many cattle is he gonna lose through the night? So what he's done is he has round the clock shifts where his staff drive around the fields to scare away the wolves, to assure that his, his, his investment, his livelihood, and you know his cattle will survive the night so he can make a living. What kind of economic impact has the wolf had? Yeah, that's, it's had a great impact. You know, um, when you look back at the old pictures um, of the hunting camps here in Northern Wisconsin, you'd see the meat pole out there with the deer hanging and um, you know, great pictures um of a what is becoming a bygone era you don't see that nearly as much anymore in fact we've seen people who bought 80s um you know buy 80 acres a couple hundred acres something like that um to be able to hunt on and some of those people are divesting themselves of that acreage because they said i don't see wolves anymore or excuse me i don't see yeah. deer anymore why why would i own that um, um when 
I can't go hunting there anymore. And what's disturbing about this, Chris, is there are some anti-hunting groups, this is what they want. They want to stop hunting. And if the wolf helps them accomplish their goal, they'll use any means to make that happen. It's really sad to say that, but um, that is the truth, that they would like to drive people, the hunters and others that utilize our natural resources. Because remember, this is part of a big, bigger picture. I mean, yeah. it's even when you look at um, the first action President Biden took when he shut down uh, um, oil production in our country, and that's exactly what he's been doing, making us less um, energy independent. That is a broader movement that is anti-natural resources utilization. And it's really unfortunate because it's part of how our country became great. Using our forests, being able to mine, being able to um, hunt to put food on the table. Those are all time-honored traditions in America that made us a great country. And there's some people that want to stop that now. And it's terribly unfortunate. Well, the wolf is a, a pawn in their political agenda. That's not a secret. You know, like I said earlier, the, the wolf is the poster child. Um, you know, it's not endangered. It's a vicious animal. Uh, and it has uh, uh, an economic, uh, not, uh, a um, ecological impact on, on our country as well. Now, this was a, a federal judge that made yeah. this distinction? Yeah, so this would be a federal judge out in Oakland, California, out of that circuit. And um, 10 years ago, it was a judge from the Washington, D.C. area that did it. But what's really clear is that these judges really don't understand natural resources management. But probably more importantly, they don't understand the 10th Amendment to the Constitution, which says that um, all things that are um, not um, to be handled by the federal government are under the state's purview. And this is one of them. This is something that our state natural resources agencies should be managing because they know far better than some judge that's off on one of the coasts, whether it's east or west coast. Um, they understand this far better than somebody that lives far, far away. And that's certainly what our founders intended is that for decisions to be made at a more local level, in this case, at the state level, and that's where it should happen. And that's why we introduced that legislation to delist, because we believe the wolf has a place on the landscape, um, yeah. but it should be up to state wildlife managers to manage them. Now, do you know off the top of your head what the national numbers are uh, for the gray wolf? Yeah, I do not, but they certainly number in the thousands. Um, you know, our estimates, when we get to peak season after they've um, had pups, you know, by the end of summer, we um, think conservatively, there's at least two to 3,000 wolves in Wisconsin. There's even more than that in Minnesota. And of course, you have the, uh, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. So just here in the upper Midwest, there's thousands of wolves on the landscape. There's no shortage of wolves here in this territory. Do you, uh, do you know how many uh, how many deer have uh, ju just whitetail alone? Um, how are they? How have they depleted the population? Well, all I know is that in this latest hunting season here in Wisconsin, that is a tradition. Every November, a great tradition in Wisconsin, 
I think uh, deer numbers were down about 10%, um, but we've seen this steady decline in the number of deer harvested here in Northern Wisconsin um, over the last 20 years. And while that's not just the wolf, there's other predators. I mean, Wisconsin is so rich in predators at this point, uh, you know, including bobcats, coyotes, and everything else. Sure. Uh, but the wolf is a big part of this that has reduced um, uh, reduced the number of deer that are being taken. Well, uh, the wolf is extremely territorial. Uh, and if the, you know, they see coyote population in their area, that's uh, a large population, they're going to kill the coyote indiscriminately, uh, just as they would uh, any other predator in the area. They are the apex predator. They are an apex predator, no doubt about it. Now, the, the wolf was delisted during the Trump administration. Uh, do you think that uh, the fact that Trump delisted them uh, played a role in relisting them as an endangered species? Yeah, that, that may have um, had a, uh, a part in it, but I mean, he, um, the Biden administration, unfortunately, is in thrall of all things extreme environmental, and they um, uh, they should be contesting this, but I doubt that they will. I mean, they should be um, uh, appealing this judge's decision because if they appealed it to the federal Supreme Court all the way up, I can assure you that it would be upheld because how the Trump administration did this administratively through the Fish and Wildlife Service, they did this in the correct manner. Mm -hmm. They held the hearings, they took the comments, and then the Fish and Wildlife Service, the people with the science, they said, yes, we should delist. It was a strong scientific decision that was made. And um, um, if it went to the US Supreme Court on appeal, they would uphold it. But that's part of the reason why you'll see these extreme people in the Biden administration not appeal. I mean, think about it. They have the head of the, um, um, uh, the person who handles the US Forest Service is somebody that used to spike trees. That can kill a logger sure. or, or severely injure them. They have a person that's that extreme in their administration that they would spike trees in order to harm human beings from being able to log. That's who you're seeing populating the Biden administration at this point. They have the extreme of the extreme in terms of um, the environmental movement and also the animal rights movement. Yeah, an extremist... Um is exactly that. Uh, they have a complete and total disregard for uh, uh, human well-being uh, as long as their cause is advanced. Yeah, that's right. And, um, and they're extremely well-funded. Um, you see uh, a number of the billionaires um, in this country, they send significant amounts of money to them. And actually, we've been tracing in regards to oil that there are some groups um, that are getting money from the Russians in order to fight against us being energy independent. So you can almost bet that they're doing the same thing in regards to wildlife management yeah. um, that some of these groups, because I know there's one organization, I think it's called 
um, the Sea Grant Foundation. They get money from an offshore company that has long ties to getting money from Russia. Well, this this runs deeper than uh, the average person would think. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's something we in Congress, we really need to expose. And that's why I talk about it on your program. And I really appreciate the opportunity to do it, Chris, is that the American public needs to be aware of what is happening in regards to that. Vladimir Putin is happy to fund our environmental groups in the United States as they shut down pipelines, oil production, and natural resources production generally. It only weakens America, and he loves to see that. Sure, and you know it hasn't taken very long to accomplish that. That's uh, correct. Now, um, the, you talk about following the science. Um, the, the as an outdoorsman, uh, we have put billions of dollars uh, into the um, science of. Um, keeping our way of life alive uh, through like the Pittman-Robinson Act. Uh, we have every license, every gun, every round of ammunition. There's a self-imposed tax uh, that comes off the top that goes towards the conservation of wildlife, lands, and, and, and the like, where you get uh, organizations like uh, PETA and, and whatnot. The, all the money that they raise goes into hate campaigns. It don't go into the conservation of the lands or, or any animal that they're fighting for at that point in time. We're the ones that are doing it. Hunters are the true conservationists and they put their money where their mouths are, just as you said. And then you got all the anti-groups that they don't do anything. I mean, how was it put to me one time by a, um, uh, a logger, he said, uh, he said to an environmentalist, why do you come to our neck of the woods and try to change what we've done that you claim to want to preserve? They want to preserve what was created by the conservationists who are the hunters, who are the loggers, who are the people that understand natural resources management. And they really do prey on uh, people, especially our young people, who don't have a great awareness of how these conservation programs have worked over the, um, over the decades. Well, they've been trying to indoctrinate uh, our youth at a very young age, uh, but thanks to organizations like the Outdoor Tomorrow Foundation and, and uh, organizations like that, we're taking them outdoors. We're showing them uh, survival skills, uh, nature, uh, you know, uh, learning about animals, hunting, fishing, uh, and and the like, and it's uh, it's a way to preserve our way of life and hand it down to the next generation. Yeah, no doubt about it. Our ranking member on Natural Resources Committee, which I sit on the Natural Resources Committee, uh, Bruce Westerman from Arkansas, who, by the way, is a professional uh, forester. He always emphasizes the word conservation because so many people simply want to preserve and preservation does not work, especially in regards to our forests. You need to manage those forests. And uh, by the way, healthy forests, managed forests are the best forests for our wildlife also, isn't it? Absolutely. 
absolutely is. All right, we're going to take a real quick break here to acknowledge some of our sponsors. Uh, Underwood Ammo, always a standard of excellence. Um, Pyro Putty and Phonescope, always innovative with their products. Always something you should keep in your pack because it could help you when you least expect it. And um, the um, Hunt of a Lifetime, we're going to hear from them right now. We'll be right back. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference. Okay, and we're back, and uh, we're here with uh, Congressman Tom Tiffany talking about uh, how the uh, federal government has uh, delisted the wolves as uh, an endangered species when we all know we, uh, that they're not. Uh, why aren't we following the science, or why aren't they following the science? So actually, the Fish and Wildlife Service did their job during the previous administration um, under Secretary Barnhart, um, head of the Department of Interior, uh, they did a full thorough review of um, whether the wolf should be delisted. And they came to the scientific conclusion that yes, they're recovered and they should be delisted. So it was accomplished with the previous administration. Now you had a rogue judge from California who doesn't understand wildlife management, um, doesn't understand the law and how it is, um, how it um, should be interpreted and has decided to relist the wolf. And what I'm urging along with a number of my colleagues is for the Biden administration to appeal that ruling, because I believe if they appeal the ruling, they follow the science of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, the courts um, on appeal will side with all of us who know the wolf has recovered and we should allow management with the states because that's ultimately what it's about, Chris. It isn't about saying, okay, we're just going to allow unlimited wolf hunts from the federal level. No, it's a delisting. It says to the state uh, fish and wildlife managers, it is now your duty in your state to manage the wolf, just like every other wildlife population that you manage. And that's where it should be done is at the uh, state level, not the federal level. So they're basically uh, handcuffing the local municipalities um, where the wolf may be endangering um, your income, uh, the way you make a living, how you're, uh, if you raise dogs or some pets or whatever you do for a living, it's infringing on your personal economic uh, well-being. Yeah, they've taken away local control. I mean, I give you another example. I know a dairy farmer who, by the way, 
um, raises his cows, he and his wife raise their cows on grass, which many in the environmental movement think is a great thing. You know, it's not a factory farm. Mm-hmm. Yet he's having a very difficult time maintaining his herd because the wolves are always threatening it. And it isn't so much, Chris, that they're taking some animals, the wolves, though they do sometimes. It's that they agitate the herd. So whether you have a beef herd or a dairy herd, mm-hmm. by agitating them, they have a less rate of gain if they're beef. They have lower production if it's milk as a result of being agitated all the time by wolves. So it isn't always just that the wolves are killing the animals. It's that they keep them so agitated. And that's part of the reason why we should be able to control wolves. So that would actually harm the quality uh, of product, whether it's beef or milk. It's actually um, uh, you're getting an inferior product so to speak. Yeah. And, and the biggest thing, though, is it reduces production and puts that farm at greater risk. So you have people that want these grass-fed dairies who live in the cities, yet here's a farmer who has a grass-fed dairy and he's looking at being put out of business. Some of those same people in the city may be contributing to this, um, uh, this anti-hunting group that tries to, that files um, the lawsuits that cause the wolf to be relisted. They actually harm themselves, mm-hmm. but they don't realize the second and third order um, uh, consequences of their actions. Well, the same thing uh, with um, the conservation of a land, you're preserving a, a piece of property. Uh, that you want to bring back uh, a certain species of animal that affects there's a whole ripple effect it affects the the uh, bees or the butterflies that were in the area that now they're back in the area and the different animals and different species Uh, by preserving a piece of property uh, to cultivate uh, one species it all benefits now they are actually having the ripple effect on their end. By their actions, they're harming themselves. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, when you connect both, um, uh, you know, not managing a forest, not logging it, just saying we're only going to have old growth, and you couple that with wolves, um, you will end up with a very sterile environment. You will go in there and you won't see the rabbits, you won't see the game animals. Um, You... There's a a bird species, the golden-winged warbler, that depends on early successional forests. We're seeing fewer of them, and the Fish and Wildlife Service is looking at possibly listing them on the Endangered Species Act as a result of not having enough early uh, successional species in the forest. So lack of management does not benefit the wildlife population in the end, and that's why it's so important to have that balance. And this is the case with wolves and the case we're making. Don't get it out of balance because that's what's happening now. That's exactly the point. So I know you're doing what you can on your end uh, by going through the legal process. Um, what can we do as individuals to make our voice heard? Yeah, it's very important that you contact your elected representatives and make the case to them 
that it's important for this to be done. In particular, your United States senators. I mean, I think about like with uh, Minnesota and Michigan, um, they have senators who have not signed on to these Wolf D listing bills. They should really sign on to them. They are key senators and people should really be getting in touch with them. Um, and make yourself active. Make yourself active and um, deliver that message that we want good management here and let's return control back to the states. The federal government, as we're seeing with record crime, record inflation, record high energy prices, record illegal immigration, the federal government is getting very little right at this point. One way they can get something right is to return control to the states, including with management of the wolf population. Well, as uh, a uh, legal citizen of the uh, United States, I know it is my obligation to question our, um, our representatives. Uh, and tell them to sign on to our bill, Chris. Um, when they contact their legislators, tell them to sign on to these bills that, um, like the one that I wrote with representative, uh, that I signed on to Representative Bobert from Colorado, who's providing real leadership on this issue. Sign on to those, tell uh, your congressmen, your senators, sign on to those bills. We need your support. All right, and there's a, a new organization that I'm working with as well called Halfa Wildlife. Uh, you sign on to their site and they have uh, every email of congressmen and senators that you can reach out directly through their site. So it makes it that much easier. And that's uh, howforwildlife.org. Uh, you can definitely check that out. And how can we uh, help you? Which uh, um, uh, what website or um, phone numbers can we reach you? Yeah, you can always reach my office, um, you know, on the official side, um, tiffany.house.gov. Um, they can reach me or look for my phone numbers on a website. Websites are available. Um, they can also go to tomtiffany.com. Um, that's, uh, people can find me there also, but the official side is tiffany.house.gov and they can reach out to me anytime. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, make our voice heard on this topic because it's a very important topic and it affects uh, a lot of lives. And uh, I appreciate your work. Yeah, really uh, great to join American Outdoor News, uh, Chris. And um, um, look forward to connecting again sometime. And let's go out and win this battle. I can tell everybody out there, we will not give up. We will not give up until we get that delisting done. And we're going to continue to work at it. It's the right thing to do. All right. I appreciate your time. and. Uh... We'll keep up this fight together. Thank you for your time today, Chris, and all your, uh, all your viewers. It was great to join you today. Thank you again.